This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. I'm here, as always, with Maxwell Vogue. Hey, Joris. How you doing? I'm well. I'm well. How are you doing, Max? I'm good. Who do we have on the 3D Pod today? Uh, well, today we're uh, joined by Luis Valdez, uh, and Luis is a uh, well. He works at, at HP, uh, and he's a manager at HP. But he's also uh, he directs the uh, 3MF consortium, and 3MF is uh, a organization that is striving to bring st- bring standards to 3D printing and, and standards to uh, the the file types and file handling in 3D printing. So it's very exciting. We've had uh, people from 3MF before, but uh, yeah. The, now we're going to talk a little bit about Lewis about what's what's happening on the uh, 3MF consortium front. Very good. Hi everyone. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, I'd be glad to talk a bit about what we're doing in 3MF, what we're doing in terms of uh, building better products in the future, and how our customers are adopting. It. Uh, so first off, I mean, uh, but people know a little bit about 3MF and what 3MF is about, but just a refresher for somebody who's like maybe new to it or hasn't been too familiar with it. Absolutely. So 3MF is a, is a data format. It's designed to be uh, a data exchange format between different applications, products, services, uh, 3D software, and hardware. So it's, it's really designed to support the main capabilities that are unique to 3D printing and additive manufacturing. And it's really the, the mission is to become the, 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 big, the default standard for all the 3D printing industry. And, and why do we need this? Why, 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 why is it necessary? Yeah, I bet there's a lot of users here that, who, who come to listen to your podcast and they spent several hours trying to fix STLs. So you get a file from somebody and then you have to buy software A, B, or C to fix the triangles, make sure they don't overlap, make sure they're all sticking together, make sure you have uh, like a solid body that you can 3D print. Uh, that's a common challenge across designers, service bureaus, manufacturers. They do spend a considerable amount, amount of time doing that. So 3MF tries to solve that by providing more robust specification. You know, I always said that uh, STL uh, is a bit like Bon Jovi. They were born in, in, in the 1980s, and they, they haven't right. really changed. <laughs> Sorry, I, I love Bon Jovi, I'm full disclaimer, but you know, the, the STL file really hasn't evolved. And people have been, you know, patching on top of that uh, to do the things that you want to do with 3D printing. And in the end of the day, it kind of limits what you can do. So, I mean, we'll talk more about that, but 3MF has a much more robust definition of what a solid is, how a group of parts are connected together. And it, in, it includes things that are unique to 3D printing, such as colors, multiple materials, textures, lattices. Uh, we've recently released um, a lot of uh, provisions for security and, uh, and digital rights management. So all of that makes it a much more compelling um, offering to anybody who wants to uh, use 3D printing products. So we also had Alexander Ulster on before on the 3D Pod, another episode about the, and he also talked a little bit about this kind of stuff uh, for people that want to look uh, a little bit at another episode that, that kind of dovetails with this one. But um, 
so, so what did you want to ask, Max? You were, you were about to ask a question. Well, I'm just curious about like the other file form. I mean, yeah, STL, we all know the issues with that. But like, how does it stack up to, say, G-Code or to the PWMO format for the resin printers? Yeah, so what we saw is a, is a situation that's it was similar to the 2D printing industry you know, 40 years ago. Okay, so mm-hmm. that's where, um, uh, you know, HP had a role in there, but there was a point in time where every single application in your PC, every single application in your PC required a different uh, driver to talk to a different printer. You had to install the font in the printer and every printer would be slightly different. And therefore, uh, you would not get the all the benefits of being able to print anywhere you want. Okay? So in 3D printing, it's the same. You, you can uh, send the same STL to different uh, printers, but you can also send two-path information. Sometimes you send uh, bitmaps, depending on the technology. But they all came up with their different proprietary format. So that's really where the standard, where the industry stands today. Uh, every company, for the lack of a better format, came up with their own. And therefore, it's really hard to, to move between one platform to another. You're always trying to fix things, convert things. And there's not really a good uh, solution around that. And so, so if, we're, if we're talking about this, I mean, how do you drive adoption for this? Because like at one point, you know, it's like, okay, so SDL, everything, everybody hates SDL, but we still kind of use it, right? Mm-hmm. And and 3MF is something I know to be better, but I, I still don't use. So how are you guys like going about trying to get more people to use this stuff? Yeah, that's been the primary challenge that I've been working on since I became the executive director uh, last year. Um, I think there's two levels of adoption. One is with the actual uh, companies that provide products around 3D printing. So in our consortium, we have all the major CAD vendors and Right now, they all support 3MF, import and export. Uh, all the core 3D printer manufacturers, same thing. So before uh, you can talk to the end user, who are like the designers, the service bureaus, you need to have enough products that support the standard. And the products need to talk to each other in a reliable way. So the first years of the consortium has been really about uh, getting enough products in the market. And we're up to a point where, you know, the last year or so, it's hard to find a product that does not support 3MF. It's hidden there somewhere in the UI, but the support is there. And, you know, people are not using because they're not aware. So when I came on board, I said, you know, guys, the specs are great, but if people are not using, it doesn't matter in the end of the day. So the challenge for me has been really, okay, how do we, explain these capabilities to the end user. You know, I'm talking about mechanical designers, uh, software architects, uh, solution development, uh, contract manufacturers, service bureaus. And I've actually engaged directly with many of them to show, hey, this is what your workflow looks like now. This is what it could look like if you use 3MF. And many of them are, are switching. So we're, um, I won't say specific names, but some of them are becoming really serious about it and completely switching their workflow and then getting benefits, you know, lower cost per part, faster transaction costs, and less uh, manual intervention on the digital files. But this is a journey. Huh? Just 
adoption of an, any new technology, it doesn't happen overnight. Okay, there's, there's a lot of work you have to do on awareness, on showing that uh, this is a better solution, that there's, a, there's a, an easy path to adopt it, and then you can actually reap the benefits of all that. Like, where do I go if I want to consider doing this? Is there something you guys can do to help me on the, in that sense? Or? Well, Joris, you're kind of special, so you can just drop me a note, and I'll <laughs> personally give you a, a demo. But what, what, what I suggest is that, you know, if you're a 3D printing user, go to your uh, software hardware uh, manuals. People don't use manuals anymore. Maybe go to Google, and then you will find that uh, import and export of 3MF today. Okay. We're putting up uh, a series of uh, videos showing how to import, export uh, from different software packages. Uh, no, no, we just announced uh, last week uh, a new YouTube channel with a collection of videos around that. And, uh, and then we're also showing how you can concatenate a, a full solution from design to simulation to preparing for prints, actual printing, processing, quality inspection, and how the workflow can be all connected uh, using 3MF. So there will be some case studies published around that. And again, we're, at the end, we are kind of a small industry, a small community. If anybody wants to reach out with specific questions, I'm, I'm more, than help, more than willing to help. I, I do that, um, helping a couple of uh, small software companies in. Um, in Germany, who are who want to support 3MF, and you know, I'll get myself or Alex Oster or anybody of the member uh, community to to help out. That's cool, and and yeah, so the member community, so 3MF is actually kind of driven by like like companies essentially, right? So so, so the members are actually companies, and you've got these uh, big companies essentially that are steering members, and then you've also got associate members, and 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 so why are these companies doing this? Well, what's important? What's the, the benefit for? Like I see, like a bunch of like uh, Dassault, uh, Autodesk, uh, EOS, uh, you know, Fit. How 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 is it important for these companies to do this? Well, I think we all share uh, the same vision of a more streamlined workflow. Okay, so much like it happened in the two D printing industries, where you know it wasn't until Windows put some clear APIs around um, around visualization and printing. And when PDF came and became the, the, the standard for commercial printing, you know, printing of books, newspapers, magazines, everybody was, way, all the industry was uh, wasting time, basically, into try and error fixing files and customers not getting what they wanted on paper. So here, the, the, the core of the industry is looking for the same thing. And I mean, we, we in the beginning, we distinctively looked for members across different areas of the industry. So you will see 3D printer manufacturers, okay? You will see software providers, large and small. Huh? We have, you know, on one end you have EOS and on the other hand you have Brusa, right? With the uh, more of the consumer type of 3D printers. And then on the software side on one end you have the so which is huge, but you also have Anthropology, who is also a much smaller software company. We also thought it was important to have uh, customers in the mix. So, you know, both GE and Materialize, they all have uh, and Stratasys and 3D systems. They have the, a mature uh, production business. 
So they understand well what it takes to create a digital uh, backbone for 3D printing manufacturing. Uh, and of course, we got Microsoft on board uh, from the early on. That was also very good to, to distribute uh, the 3MF capabilities to anybody in the world, really. Today, in any PC, uh, many people don't know this, but if you, if you own a Windows PC, you can double-click on any 3MF or STL folder in your disk, and it will open up a visualization tool for that. You don't have to install anything. It, it really became a... A native file format in the operating system, which is which is a huge step forward. Okay, and all these members, we work very collaborative to really try to solve this interoperability problem. So I think we've all suffered that, and instead of each buddy, each each party looking for a solution on their own, we just decided to join forces and and solve the this this challenge once and for all for the benefit of the industry. Can, can anyone join? Is it is it like or is it like a, is it like a is there a test? Make a file. Yes. Yes. Anybody can join. And then they can, there's instructions on our website to join. Uh, the only thing we'll, we'll, we'll do is that we didn't want to have a, cons did not want to have a consortium with like 200 companies because then it's really hard to make a decision. Okay. Mm -hmm. So right. for every new steering member, the other members actually have to approve. Okay, so that's part of the bylaws of the consortium. And, you know, we started with like 10 companies. Right now we are 17. Okay, there's a couple of other companies that reached out to me recently, and they're probably going to join. Uh, but yeah, I think 15 to 20 is still a manageable number. Um, 200 seems like a lot. Okay, and mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, things can change. The, you know, the, depending on how the market grows and how if we're missing part of the market, I think that that can be something we can evolve to. That's not a not a definitive answer on that question. I think we're always looking to expand and then contribute to the industry. Okay, I, th I think I may join how actually as, as as a person. I'll be like the person joining. Well, we've had <laughs> Jones, you, you know you're welcome in any <laughs> any any consortium or or, or party. But uh, we've had individuals join, huh? Uh, oh, not yeah, as a member. Okay. Um, yeah. I remember when we were doing the lattice extension and the collar uh, extension, we, there was specific knowledge of a few individuals in the industry that we thought was very relevant and they wanted to contribute. So, you know, we just signed a, a simple agreement and they were part of the, the meetings for that period. And then, you know, they, they've completed the specs and then they moved on. And so did we, right? So. Individual contributions are welcome. I mean, it's, we we can talk. Uh, so okay, that that's good to know. I mean, and and also, but there, you don't have a clubhouse, right? There's no clubhouse. <laughs> no, not yet. No. Oh okay. man. Because <laughs> consortium consortium doesn't make it's, it feel like a evil club to rule the world, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> it does. It, Brings up notions of the Helios uh, Consortium, <laughs> right? So, so would you call it 3MF Clubhouse? Yeah, something like that. Uh, yeah, a little yeah. bit more. Yeah. more you you need like a, a, a fun tune, like yeah. the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so you, you I'll, mentioned... I'll propose that to the members, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, good. Right, good. <laughs> uh, but, uh, how about, so you did mention the lattices thing. I mean, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about lattices. A lot of people are excited about lattices. I mean, what did you guys actually do with lattices? What, what happened, actually? 
So what the consortium defined was a, a better way to, de to define uh, a beam and lattice geometry. Okay, so when you look at the different applications of lattices, you know, whether it's in footwear, helmets, medical applications, every time you have a, a, a beam and a node, uh, you know, the way normally you, you model that in CAD or even in STL or other formats, you have to describe every single triangle on the surface one by one. Although you know that there's a beam is connected to a node and then connected to other nodes, but there's, there's a much smarter way to define those. Okay, so that's what the, the lattice extension is about. So the, the lattice extension has a lot of benefits in file size, right? You're using less kilobytes to describe the same geometry. Uh, it's more portable. So we have rules on how to render the beams and the nodes that everybody needs to, all the players need to comply to. And then it gives you a lot of flexibility on the design. And I'll give you an example of that. And there's a company that's looking at uh, doing personalized products. And the personalization has to do with the different beam thicknesses. Okay, so you can imagine, for example, a helmet or a midsole on a shoe. And, and you wanna, you have a default beam thicknesses across all the geometry. But uh, because every individual is different, you want to put more uh, resistance or thicker beams on one area and lower uh, resistance or pressure, which implies thin thinner beams in another area of the geometry. So to do that with uh, the lattice extension is super simple. You can pretty much send the 3MF with the default configuration and the personalization aspects it becomes metadata and you're just modulating that for each individual. And that opens up a lot of uh, possibilities that were really, really hard to do if you were uh, doing with a native geometry or even uh, tessellated geometry. Because that means you have to render every time, and then every time you have to fix, and then every time you need to check that the part still performs. So this is just one case where having a, a smarter way to describe the geometry can lead to better outcomes for the end user. When you're talking about who you're designing this for, this functionality, are you doing it? Who is your, because like your members are like software companies and, and, and manufacturing companies and stuff like that, but, but their end users are also people at home, let's say. So who are you thinking of? Who's in mind when you're designing something like this, this lattice uh, specification? Yeah, so all the, the, the engineers in, in big and large companies, or even if you're a consumer and you're creating this, in the end, you, you're using somebody's software to design, right? So in the case of Lattice, uh, you know, Anthropology did a lot of the work uh, to create the initial draft of the specs. Siemens had uh, added a lot of uh, work on top of that. And, and then in the end, the whole consortium ratified the spec. So basically, the, the, the end user would, to choose whatever software that he wants, uh, as long as it supports the, the 3MF specification. Uh, we, if there's additional feedback to, to support additional use cases, of course, we're very open about that, and we actually welcome that kind of feedback. Okay. One thing I didn't mention is that we also have a GitHub where we publish a lot of uh, open source code to open, read, and write, and visualize all the different extensions. Okay, so 
there, there's a lot of uh, activity in that GitHub because sometimes the designer wants to create a modified version of, uh, of what's in the specs. And, it, and he can have a direct dialogue with the developers to actually find the best solution for, for his problem space. So again, that's another community. Maybe we should call that Clubhouse too. But in, in GitHub, <laughs> there's you know, lots of developers contributing to open source code and improving the specs as, as guided by user feedback. Do you guys have a vision on the timeline? Like how long are you hoping it'll take before STL is that is the dinosaurs and now everyone uses 3FM. Yeah, that's, I get that question a lot. And uh, <laughs> the, you know, humans are creatures of habit. So yes, we it's are. really, really hard to change how, how people behave, even if there's a better solution. You know, so that's something that I've observed, you know, in any time you come up with a new technology or product, you can prove that it's much better, but they still won't switch, right? So um, I think it'll take time, but at the same time, it might be that you know 3MF and STL would just coexist. Okay, so I mean, if you go to your PC today, you can still open a, a TXT file, right? You can open a plain text and you can look at anything that's in there. But when you're going to write a new document or a new web page. I mean, normally you don't go to, to your notepad to create a new HTML page from scratch, right? You can do that, but you don't do that. So I think the key for us is finding out these new applications or design paradigms that you can only do with 3MF. I think that's what's going to drive the switch. So like I explained before around lattice design, I mean, you can try to do that in SDL. It's going to take a lot of time, and you're going to commit, make a lot of mistakes. If you have a tool that supports 3MF uh, natively, it'll be a much better solution. Okay? You get to the solution much faster. Color is the same thing. We're seeing a lot of traction on color now. Uh, both HP and Stratasys put out uh, color products. And the other formats, I mean, STL doesn't support color. VRML is there, but it has some limitations. So 3MF we're seeing is much more robust for color application. So that's another one. And then uh, it might be if you're just creating a basic bread and butter part, yeah, I mean, you can do either or. But I think the, the really uh, switch we'll see once we start accelerating on this type of new applications that can only be done with 3MF. And and is that is that like you're talking about like voxel level stuff or a different kind of gradient type parts that kind of thing or that is one of the areas so definitely in fact we I can use this opportunity to kind of pre-announce that we are working on a volumetric extension okay so that will I've been pushing the team to release a draft in the next weeks okay so the community will hear more about that and we're going to open up and welcome for contributions from anybody out there. But yes, volumetrics, again, it's some companies need that capability and they came up with their own proprietary format. But again, it, when you want to change the printer or when you want to change the, the software, it's not portable. So th there's been a lot of work within the consortium to create a very robust volumetric extension that will solve some of those problems. And you're, you're right, there's some things that some problem spaces that if you use the volumetric extension is going to be the best way to solve that problem. 
And I think that's that's going to drive additional traction uh, towards this the three MF format. Yeah, I'm just like really struggling to see about this case. But how are you going to like move the 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 ball in this? How are you going to get this? Is there like going to be a big moment? Uh, or are you going to have like three MF day or something? Or is there going to be like a big moment <laughs> where you can kind of like get wow. people to sign up or something? Or a big push? Right, right. Or... Like, I have no choice anymore. Yeah, like, exactly. I won't you... accept this file format. Yeah. Wow. The carrot or the stick, you know? I I have proposed that to the members, but I got, <laughs> I got a bit of pushback. I even in AP. I've had this yeah. discussion uh, a few years ago. Hey guys, we're pushing yeah. for this format. The easiest way is to shut it off. Like don't don't yeah. don't accept <laughs> don't accept the old <laughs> format. And I, I got I got I got a bit of pushback from that and from other companies. Um, and and their argument is like, well, you know, we want to support all files format, the good and the bad ones. I'm like, okay, I got your point. But uh, and then I I proposed something else, which was okay. Can you at least promote 3MF as kind of the default option or somehow right. uh, yeah. make it easier for them to know that this is available? You no, know, I did a, a, a survey okay, with uh, more than 100 engineers, and this was the question. How do you find out about new features on your CAD software? And, uh, and like 80% or 90% of the answer was, my friend tells me, okay? <laughs> And it's like, well, how did your friend find out? I'm like, I don't know. So, and I also asked, do you read the newsletters? Do you do you go to conferences? You know, how do you find out about things? And they they really don't know. And it's because they don't change that every time. You know, I know I know the software companies push out yearly updates with a ton of new features. But that was my third ask. Hey, can we at least report on the usage of 3MF? Okay, compared to others, and then we can do some kind of more targeted campaigns. Um, and we're still discussing about that. Okay, so the there are tools that allows us to monitor how many 3MF files are being created compared to SDL and compared to AMF and other formats. Ooh, this is that's interesting. Do you have like a rough percentages these I, days? It's like I do, I do. I've do you not want to share? <laughs> I, I I wanted to publish that on our website, but I also got <laughs> fair enough, I fair pushed enough. some I got some pushback. <laughs> you did, a, so as you can see, I'm, 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 I'm the one pushing, only me. <laughs> pushing the team to to move forward. No, they're a little reluctant, and uh, but yeah, I mean, still STL is very popular. But you know, I'll tell you about HP. I'll, I'll, uh, the numbers were like three to one. Okay, but mm -hmm. the only difference is that a lot of the three MFs. Uh, that you can actually save multiple parts inside. So it's really not a one-to-one -one comparison. Right. Mm -hmm. So in terms of actual parts uh, for, the, for the, the, let's say, the files that are printed on HP devices, it, it's kind of half and half trending towards more 3MF. Okay. So mm -hmm. on that end, and then we, you know, I, I pushed a lot for that to happen and, and make 3MF the default option. Uh, the HP printers do support 3MF natively, okay? So that's actually the only format we, we support natively. Uh, if you have an STL, you have to, you have to make the conversion, okay? Mm -hmm. So it takes a bit of both moves. Um, some of the member companies, of course, they have a lot more legacy. So that's something that we'll, we have to deal with, right? I mean, for HP came out in the market in 2016 and with our first product. Right. And, you know, th that was the only one. We did it with 3MF from the beginning. You know, there are companies like, you know, 
3D systems, Stratasys who have been in the market for more than 30 years, and they just have a, so many products to so many products to, to switch that you know the ROI may not be there. But for the new products, we are getting full support. Huh? I mean, he, there was announcements by 3D systems and um, Stratasys in the last months around uh, how their new color products are supporting 3MF. You know, even there was an article about how Stratus has collaborated with Keyshot, which is one of the leading softwares for um, uh, visualization and rendering. And their, the whole workflow changed to be 3MF based, and the users loved it because in the end, they're getting what they want. On, what they see on screen is what they get. So for this new wave of products, yeah, we're getting full support. But, you know, for the legacy products, you know, it might, it might never happen. You know, and we'll just have to, to accept that and, and try to push for enough compelling value propositions on the newer products so that people switch. Yeah. Also, like it was announced a while back that you guys are part of like the Linux Foundation. And what does that mean? Or what, what does it mean by the way you guys are organized? Or what does that mean for a user or potentially somebody who's considering using a, a 3MF in my software? Yeah, the very good question. So that, that is a very significant milestone uh, that we achieved. And then there are two primary objectives of that. One is to emphasize and reinforce the 3MF commitment to remain open source. So, you know, when we, were, we, when we started, you know, Microsoft was part of it, and uh, they still are. But there were, we got a lot of pushback from the consumer uh, market, say, hey, this is going to be proprietary. You're going to lock us down on this. I don't want to do that. I want open source. <laughs> lots of conspiracy theories, as you can imagine. Yeah. But in the end of the day, no, 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 no. Uh, this is a commitment that we have. We'll remain open source, free. There's no, you, you don't need anything. You don't even need to be a member to use the, the specification. Okay, Everything is open and we will remain open source. And, you know, Linux Foundation is the home of the most successful open source project ever in the world, right? So the second thing that, and the reason, the second reason why we joined, it was actually to learn from them. Okay, so how they are able to take initiatives like 3MF and make it drive widespread adoption and turn it into a real platform for innovation. Okay, so I've had lots of uh, conversations with, they actually have a team to help you do that. So they host more than 100 projects, you know, going across file formats, blockchain, uh, manufacturing. I mean, if you go to the website, it's just amazing the number of uh, standards that they're hosting. And they actually have a dedicated team to support you, your growth, really, in the end of the day. So they, they, they've been providing resources and strategic advice and connections on how to make this uh, all projects, and in this case, 3MF, more successful. I think that's that's a, that's a real thing. But then you mentioned conspiracy theories, and one thing that's always been a kind of conspiracy theory <laughs> about 3MF is the DRM component, and mm -hmm. and, and people have always mm, been really yeah. skeptical about this, especially like kind of like the open source desktop 3D printing crowd. So yeah, if I did some more DRM. It sounds evil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, this was uh, one of the most intense discussions we've had in the consortium. Okay. Uh, we announced a uh, the security extension. I think it was a year, a bit more than a year ago. Okay, and the discussion was how much 
of the encryption, decryption, algorithm, and DRM capabilities that we include in the file. And, and the decision was to not include it. Okay, so we do provide ways for you to encrypt and decrypt the content in the file, okay? Even parts of the content. So if you have 10 parts, you can encrypt only one. But we do That's not neat. prescribe how the keys managed and how the, the, what, what the encryption and decryption algorithm are. So we rely on the solution provider to provide uh, the, the full solution. And, you know, we see that we are providing the fundamentals so that other players can build multiple DRM solutions on top of that. And then one more thing I'll add, yeah, sure. we didn't want to get in the middle of that, pretty much. That was the decision and the agreement within the consortium. Um, mm -hmm. The other thing that happened, and it's a company that's not very well known in the, in the 3D printing industry, was that BIXS Orca joined a company as a, as a consequence of that. So they, were, they joined as an individual, okay? And they had so much knowledge about uh, encryption, decryption, and how the file formats are key to enable that, that they just decided to be, to be part of the consortium. Okay, so for many people who don't know who they are, they are uh, their main focus is really tele telecom, okay, digital solutions for telecom, and nowadays, like probably ninety nine percent of their business comes from streaming. So when you're mm. using Netflix or cable TV, HBO, anywhere in the world, most likely you're using a piece of their software to encrypt and decrypt information. Okay, and also authorize access to content. Okay, so they they brought in a lot of expertise that, to be honest, we don't have in the in the three D printing industry at that scale. So they became a member, and they are the ones really spearheading a lot of the security effort within the consortium. And of course, they have their own DRM solution on top of that. But again, we're not the three MF is not prescribing that specific one. What we want to make sure is that the the format has the right elements in place to support uh, the growth of any application that requires DRM. Mm -hmm. And do you think DRM is necessary? Because it's always been kind of the story like, you know, in order to get the big guys on board, we have to do it. Or do, do you think it feels necessary? Or are you just doing it just in case it's necessary? Or um, I've seen cases where it would be necessary, but not for everything. Okay, there are other ways to protect content. Uh, Can you give an example? For example, uh, I'll talk about HP, which is a company that I know well, but most consumer brands have a similar thing. So they they, they're, they're creating the new, a new computer, a new iPhone, whatever. But they have to whatever. work with uh, contract manufacturers in Asia. That's just how the yeah. world is today. So there's got to be a transfer of digital files from one one office in the world to a factory in Asia. I mean, the, it, it's not specific to 3D printing. It's, you know, molding, uh, machining instructions, the actual color specification, all that PLM information, like the product life management information needs to live somewhere. And that data needs to be super protected, right? Super protected because you don't want that to leak out before the product goes to the market. Because of that, you know, both HP and Apple and everybody made significant investments over the last 20, 30, 40 years to protect that data and make sure that whatever is created in California 
uh, only the, the, the right people in the factories has access to that data and is, and is able to reproduce the, the product out of, based on that data. So, you know, they go, there's, of course, lots of uh, legacy systems there, but you can imagine, you know, you know BLM systems, uh, there's private networks. Uh, not all of that is on the cloud. A lot of it is in the private clouds or even local servers. Um, so there's a lot of protection on that content already in place. Um, so back to your question, how much of that is needed for 3D? I mean, if you're following the same manufacturing and supply chain ecosystem that you have today, I would say you don't need a lot. You're just, just one more file format in that, uh, in that ecosystem that already exists. Okay. Now, if you're looking at new supply chains, you know, 3D printing, distributed manufacturing, you know, the ability of uh, not a company, but an individual publish content online and get paid every time somebody prints that. Yeah, for that, you need new capabilities that are not in the traditional world. And, and again, 3MF can provide those capabilities. Okay? Uh, and you know, if built correctly, then whoever is creating the content can be assured that if he desires to, he can get an accurate count of how much time, how many times the content has been consumed. And then if that is very reliable, you can actually start to think about monetization on top of that. Okay. So several layers need to happen to deliver on that vision no, of distributed manufacturing, of users creating content and consuming content. And again, I think 3MF provides one of the building blocks, which is a critical one, but it's not the only one. Mm-hmm. Well. Well, definitely, definitely. And what do you hope to achieve in the next couple of years with 3MF? Or where do you hope to be in a couple of years? Let's say five years or so. So the the, the goal that I've set for the team in the next uh, when I, I started last year, uh, 2020, right? Okay, yes. <laughs> so in the next five years, is that really we become a a the default standard? That there's no question anymore. You know? And I said five years is kind of like a reasonable time frame to have uh, significant adoption and, and, and awareness of the, of the solution, okay? Um, and there, there's another goal that we put in was to be a very complete specification, okay? So right now we have a core specification, several extensions. Uh, we're working on a volumetric, like I said before, but we also need to have a toolpath extension that we're working on. Uh, there's an extension being, uh, again, by user request about uh, supporting uh, NURBS, which is more curved geometry, if you really require yeah. that level of accuracy. And there's another group that's working on uh, a simulation slash quality inspection extension, okay, for 3D printed parts. Uh, so that's on the go. So I think within the next five years, we should be able to get those out of the door. and then. The end state is really that we don't think about 3MF anymore. I'm, 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 sad, I'm sad to say that, but at some point, it just becomes so ingrained in the workflows from design to manufacturing that you really don't know what's the data format underneath. No, it just works. No, and much like your, your home printer, you, you don't know the data formats that uh, your computer and your printers are using. It, it just works. And that's really the, the, the ultimate proof of success. No, it, it just works. And uh, there's lots of workflows and every single application out there 
can talk to another application in a very seamless and interoperable way. Um, yeah, so very much uh, one thing I'll add, there's talks with the ISO and ASTM standard about making this a, an official international standard. Um, we think we're still early in that journey, okay? But that I think that could be another uh, end state. So at some point, once the, the specs are mature enough and adopted enough, I think that will be a good point where we say, okay, I'll make that an official standard, and um, and then that's it. We're problem solved. We'll go. We'll go to the next one, to the next clubhouse. <laughs> okay, Lewis. Thank you so much for that, and good luck with that. Good luck with your mission there. Okay, thank you. I appreciate you guys giving me so much time to talk about 3MF. This is really one of my passions. Uh, everything we do is volunteer, is is volunteer work. So, but again, no big feats in human history happened without you know a, a great work by volunteers. So I'm, I'm really proud of what the team has done and I appreciate the opportunity of sharing that with you guys today. Okay. Well, thanks yeah, for being thanks here, for man. Thank us. you. And, uh, and Max, thank you for being here as well. Yeah. Always, Joris. Lots of fun. Thanks you for hosting. And thank you for listening to another episode of the 3D Pod. My name is Joris Peels and uh, have a great day. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.